0: Is my mic on? <laughs> I'm playing around with it. OK. you might want to take out your uh, bulletin. There's, a, there's an outline, and I, there's no particular passage I'm going to be in today. Uh, we're just going to be looking at some purposes as we purposes of the tribulation as we get into uh, Revelation chapter six through 19. Coming to terms with the tribulation coming to terms with it. Now, many people have rejected even the notion that there will be a tribulation. There's even some within Christianity that says things are supposed to get better and better and better, and then he comes back. That really the, most, the, the greatest tribulation we'll ever experience is what we're experiencing right now. And again, I think the Scripture is very clear that that is not the case. We even see evidences of that. Things are getting worse, even the cataclysmic, um, to natural disasters, and let me, let me refer to one of these. It happened in May 3rd, 1999. on that particular evening of May 3rd, a tornado in Southwest Oklahoma metastasized into a monster cyclone and thundered northeast, effortlessly, flattening a, a 60-mile swath through town after town, neighborhood after neighborhood. When the steamroller finally ran out of energy, it had totally destroyed 1,500 homes and damaged another 8,093 homes. Total killed were 44 people. 95% of Mohall, Oklahoma was destroyed. After the storm meteorologists determined that the wind speed generated by that tornado peaked at 381 miles an hour. The highest winds ever recorded on the planet. I mean, it was just horrendous. The storm may have even created a new tornado rating. See, up to that point, it was always F1 to F5. After that, they actually redid the entire scale and and pegged that one as an F6. The day after the tornado, the local news station ran nonstop footage of the damaged areas. The scene was a heartbreaking and indescribable. It looked like a post-apocalyptic movie. Twisted and scarred trees with all the bark stripped off, littered the landscape, and all the grass was literally sucked out of the ground, leaving areas of exposed earth in its wake. But as overwhelming as an F6 tornado was, the Bible says that someday God is going to unleash His own tornado of judgment on the earth. Think of it like this, an F10, F12, F15. Of God's devastating judgment, a time the Bible calls the tribulation, or the last three and a half years, the great tribulation. So if you want to sum it up, let's sum it up this way, that it's not going to get better and better, it's going to get worse and worse. Okay? I mean, that's the bottom line. If you want to really... This earth... Is groaning, Romans says, and it's going to get worse and worse. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, how that more hurricanes, more tornadoes, greater intensity, more famines—just things are getting, things are breaking apart. That's just part of it. And and we should not be pessimistic. Um, We need to be biblical. Let's just put it there. In men's prayer yesterday, we were talking about the difference between pessimism and optimism and realism and I just, you know what we have to be is biblical and if you're biblical the one thing you can say you have is this hope okay hope right because if you're a biblical Christian that means if you're a Christian that means you are one who has put your faith and hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation but also for your eternity and so whatever happens here shouldn't make us hopeless. No, we have hope because He lives, right? He's reigning. He's still reigning. He lives. So whatever our... As we're looking at the tribulation, because this is, this is probably, probably one of the most challenging times in my life as a teacher. Because I'm going to be talking for a number of weeks on the tribulation. And I keep asking myself, now, how do I encourage the people? You know, we don't want to... Ugh. Another message on the tribulation. No, we want to walk away encouraged and hopeful because, again, God is in control. God is on the throne. But again, the the world is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Ultimately, it's going to end in that final battle of Armageddon. But even before the Armageddon the Holocaust is going to continue. It's going to get deeper. The chaos is going to get greater. The confusion, the sin. As the end approaches, spiritual deception will abound. And we're seeing that, by the way. We're seeing spiritual deception abounding. We're seeing where many call themselves believers, but they're just nominal believers. See, we've got to be rooted in the Scriptures, and many are not. Many are just, you know, health and wealth, and yeah, I believe in Jesus because he gives me the goodies. No, no, we have to be a biblical Christian because there is a lot of deception out there. But other things are going to increase. Crime will escalate. There will be an economic upheavals, unprecedented natural disasters and earthquakes and floods and famines and disease. And remember, Jesus talked about that in Luke 21, Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13. We looked at some of that and we'll return, but he said before even the start of the tribulation, these things are going to happen and they're going to get intensified. And if you look at even history for the last hundred years, you see they're intensifying. Okay? Again, but hope, because even though God is going to judge sin and is judging sin and will ultimately, through the tribulation, judge this earth, sinners, and sin, uh, again, our hope is in Christ. No matter what happens to us, we're secure in him. Well, I thought the first thing we'd do for today is just see the appropriateness of the judgment and the purpose of it, okay? The appropriateness of God judging this earth during the tribulation and the purpose of it, the reason why. Why, why does he do that? Uh, again, just to set the context. Because again, as we look at judgment, some people would say this, oh, no, 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 no. No, no. God is a loving God. And this is not. God is not going to do that. John, you're just being a fundamentalist. No, no. I want to be biblical, okay? See, some would say there's an overemphasis on the judgment of God. Well, I would say this. There's sometimes an overemphasis on the love of God. Yes, God is loving. He is kind. He's, he's uh, patient. But He's also just and holy and righteous. See, that's the appropriateness of God's wrath in the tribulation. It's appropriate. It's right. It's right. It's right because not only is he a loving God, but he is a holy, just, righteous God. By the way, if, if he is truly loving, it's also appropriate, right? Just, just take that. It, it, it is appropriate for him to judge sin because not only is he righteous, holy, and just, but he is loving. It's a loving thing to do. Because sin destroys. It's a loving thing to j- judge and punish it. So again, even you can add that characteristic, that attribute. God pours out His wrath and judgment on the world He created for a purpose. The reason He does it is because sin and sinners and, and the ungodliness that is has taken over every, every nook and cranny of this world. His holy hatred demands it. If you want to turn to 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 5, we see that, again, the holiness of God, His unchangeableness, His justice, and as well as His love, demands judgment. 2 Thessalonians verse 1, chapter 1 verse 5. And he talks about the, the Thessalonians and says, because of your persecutions and tribulations, you endure. You endure. And he's, he's commending them for that. But notice what he says about that. They they are suffering. And many of us have suffered for righteousness. I think it's going to get worse. Again, that's not only realism, but there's hope in that. Why? Because we stand for Christ. You know, in this world they hated me, they're going to hate you. In this world you're going to have tribulation. Uh, I I believe that we need to speak truth as to what, what is and what's coming and therefore say, let's stand strong for Christ. But this is what he tells the Thessalonians. He says, you know, you've been persecuted, you have tribulation, you endure. Verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. What do you mean? Well, God is going to judge that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom. Part of the reason we suffer is because we are kingdom children. (laughs) If you're part of the world, they would not hate you. If you're a children of wrath, they would not hate you. Why? It's because we are children of of the kingdom that we are children of God that they hate us so the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer verse 6 since it is a it, it is a righteous thing or new american says it is it is only just it's only right uh, that God will w- with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you so in that passage right there you see you see retribution verse 6 see it 's only right I mean just think about that little piece it 's only right that God would judge those who persecute his children it is only right that God would judge those who have uh, produced hurt and suffering in his children it's, so it 's only right that He repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you to give you who are troubled rest so you have actually, retribution in verse 6 and relief in verse 7 with us when the Lord Jesus is is revealed from heaven. Now, what he does is he's saying this, okay, God is going to repay, but now he, he moves us right to the second coming when Jesus Christ comes back. Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Okay, so, yes, God judges. God judges even now. There's times that God uh, produces judgment on those who sin or on those who are producing hurt in other believers' lives. But again, the final day, in that day, Jesus Christ will come back and he will punish with everlasting destruction. In fact, Isaiah 59 says this, God will put on a breastplate of righteousness and garments or clothing of vengeance. Isaiah fifty-nine seventeen. Uh, now think about that. Garments of vengeance. Or Romans 12 says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I mean, our God is a God of vengeance. Now again, He is a God of love. Thank God for that, right? That He loved and He sent His Son and His Son paid the penalty for our sin and our sin's penalty. The wrath that we should have endured was placed on Christ. Actually, we need to ask the question, have you ever received Christ so that you have received His forgiveness, so that the sins that you have committed since the day you were born, actually you were born in sin, all that was placed on Christ, and you no longer are guilty of that. Because Christ has forgiven you, and you stand in His righteousness. You have been declared righteous. That's what justification means. You haven't been made righteous, you've been declared it. Someday you'll be made it, that's glorification. But have you received Christ? Because if you have now received Christ, John 3 says, the wrath of God abides on you even to this day. Well, I don't feel it. I came here, I had a nice drive, looked at the... Yeah, but in a spiritual sense, you are condemned before God if you've never received Christ. Well, that wrath that we cannot quite... I mean, we can't quite fully grasp. I I think one of the reasons for the tribulation... Let me say it that way. One of the reasons for the tribulations is it gives us a glimpse of how God hates sin. Do you see how that works? As we're going to study the tribulation, we're going to get a better glimpse of the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the wrath of God, because we're going to see how much He hates sin. We received Christ. When I received Christ, I knew I was condemned. I knew that I had displeased God the Father, the Holy God, I displeased God, I was condemned by God, but I didn't understand the depth of it. I I had truly received Christ, but I didn't understand the depth, I didn't understand uh, the the degree of his holiness, and I now only understand a little bit more. And by the way, as I'm studying the uh, tribulation, I'm understanding more and more, he hates sin. He hates it so much it's even called his his, I mean, his, 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 uh, why, uh, how he wants to have vengeance on it, it's called his clothing, his garments. So God's vengeance and wrath and retribution is right. It is just, and I would throw this in, it is loving. It is loving. And tribulation, as far as this earth and being able to see it, is the start of the final vengeance. Okay, God has had vengeance. And for those who have passed on to eternity without Christ, they are experiencing the vengeance of God and Hades, someday the lake of fire which is hell. But we're going to study this because we're going to get a better glimpse of our God. Please don't ever tell me this. Please don't ever say this. Oh, you know, you, you talk about a vengeful God. That's not my God. That's the Bible's God. If you ever say that, you're just telling me, and I'm not a biblical person, Okay. This is God. God is a God of vengeance. God is a God of wrath. Again, but thankfully, he's not the God of Allah. <laughs> Just wrath, vengeance. No, 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 no. There's vengeance against sin, but that sin that needed to be uh, paid for was paid for on the cross by his son. So again, vengeance, it's a right thing. Well, let's, let's move to the second point, the purpose for the tribulation. Let me give you some reasons for the tribulation. First of all, it's, it's to prepare Israel. I mean, again, this cataclysmic time on the earth, when in the end, by the end, everything has been destroyed. I mean, it talks about, you know, a quarter of the population, then half, another third of the population, I mean, all the trees. Every, by the time you get to the sixth and seventh bowl, everything has been completely destroyed, which is a real good thing to tell any person that's an environmentalist. Man is not going to destroy this earth, but God will. That's how it is. I mean, you can do anything you want. It's in God's hands, and he will destroy it in the end. No, I'm going to save it. No, you're not. You're not going to save it. God is going to destroy it. That's what it says. Now, God has told us to be a good steward. I'm not going to say that. Be careful what I'm saying. But again, people are more important than trees. Right? Right? So you've got to be careful huh? because, you know, don't take one piece. What I'm saying is this. In the end, God destroyed what he created. This earth is cursed <coughs> because he cursed it. And in the end, he's going to find it because all this shows his true character. He is a God of love. You know that because he sent Christ to the, the cross, right? You know he's a God of love. You know he's God of patience and kindness and gentleness, forbearance and love, right? But sometimes the attributes of justice, holiness, and righteousness get left off. They're not that. Yeah, I you don't know, like thinking about. No, no, we need to think about that because the more we understand His wrath, now we understand the cross better, and we appreciate Him more. Sometimes I, some see in sinful humanity, kind of things. Well, you know, God should be glad I'm on His side. No, <laughs> He is holy. There's not, even now, even as I walk with you and you as a believer, you walk, even my motivations are still tainted with sin. And yet, because of Christ's love, I'm in Him and God treats me with love. It's not because I've been perfected, I haven't been perfected. My best action is still tainted with sin. Do you understand? Your best, your best day of walking with Jesus is still tainted with sin. Well, then how, how, are you able, how are you able to stand? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Okay, so that's another rabbit trail. Let's get back on reasons. To prepare Israel. That's one of the main reasons for the tribulations. To prepare Israel. To bring the Jewish people as a nation to their knees in submission to God. They haven't done that. They're still an apostate nation. They're not walking with the Lord. God's protection is over them in the sense of... Um, well, let's say it this way. His preservation is on them. Someday his protection will be. But his preservation, they're not going to be extinct. They're not going to go off. I know all these nations want to kill Israel, destroy Israel. No. Uh, if if that ever happens, then then I'm preaching the wrong God. Because he has said, no, in the end, Israel will still be there. But again, they need to be brought to their knees. God will use this time called and I I might have left in your nose, Uh, in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it's called Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble. It's going to be like, none like it ever, in fact, it says in uh, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, for the day is great, so that none is like it. This day is great, this day of Jacob's trouble, and it is a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. There's a time coming, again, we call it the tribulation, it's the seven final years, especially the last three and a half years, when they will, as it were, be put in a vice grip as a nation. I mean, if you, as you start reading and comparing, what happens is they are at peace for three and a half years. The Antichrist makes a covenant with the nation. But in the last three and a half years, and this is all broken down in Revelation, the last three and a half years, he breaks the covenant. They flee to the wilderness. But they're, they're being pursued. I'm talking as a nation. They're being pursued. They're like in this vice grip. And many of them have already died. And through their through many of their death the nation itself has been sifted and refined. In fact, Jeremiah or excuse me, Zechariah thirteen, verse eight says this And it shall come to pass in in all the land again, land of Israel, says the Lord. Now catch this, that two thirds in it shall be cut off and die. See, during this last period of time, all of Israel, you take all of Israel, two-thirds of them are going to be cut off and die. It's going to be uh, tremendous carnage again. Holocaust. Verse 9, Zechariah 13, 9, And I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested, that they will call on my name. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole purpose as far as his purpose towards Israel that they will call on my name and I will answer them. Isn't that great? Whenever we call on God in repentance, He answers. That is a true, that's true throughout Scripture. I mean, we get hard-headed, stiff-necked, I'm not going to bend the knee, I'm not going to repent. As soon as you repent, God's right there. Because He's the one that... See, some of you may be... Man, don't go to the table if you have unrepentant sin. If you are a stiff-necked, hard-hearted... And you may be a Christian... But I am not going to bend in this area. Just know this, two things. One, if you don't bend, you're, 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 you're taking unworthily in judgment. God will have to judge you then separately, right? I mean, that's what 1 Corinthians talks about. But know this, that if you do repent, he's right there to forgive. God is a forgiving God. God is a gracious. That's, that's his nature. See, he has to have wrath because people sin. But, but that's, you know what his greatest quality is? Holy, holy, holy. He's gracious and kind and he wants to, he wants to bring you back to himself as one of his children. Well, okay, let's get back here. And I will answer them and I will say, this is my people. This is talking to the Jewish nation. And each one will say, each one, each one. See, each one has been um, uh, uh, saved. Each one will say, the Lord is my God. That's, that is what God has been working towards through this entire history. Israel, and they fall off the cliff, they go off into idolatry, Babylon, and captivity, in and out. Now they're a nation, but they're still away from God. But there's a day when they're put in the vice grip of God during that tribulation. And, and, and their brothers and sisters are being killed. Two-thirds of them are killed, but it says one-third will be rescued. One-third will truly turn. And finally, the nation as a whole will come to God. In fact, that's what Romans 11 is talking about. All Israel will be saved. In the very end, I believe it's in the last few days, all of Israel finally turns. Anyone that's left standing, anyone that's left living, will finally turn to their king. Well, they turn because Romans 11 says, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. See, Christ comes, they see, they repent, they turn, finally all of Israel is saved. And then it is those Jews, as well as Gentiles, I mean Gentiles are also getting saved, we'll get to that in a minute. But it's those Jews that enter into the kingdom as physical, I mean living Jews. In other words, they're not glorified, they, they haven't died yet. They, they, and then literally they would inhabit the kingdom for a thousand years, inhabit the blessing of the kingdom and inherit the, the covenants that were promised to Abraham. In other words, they will enjoy the Abrahamic, the Davidic, Palestinian covenants. In other words, the fulfillments of the covenant, covenants will be given to that third of the Jewish nation that's left that has received Christ, gone into the kingdom. It's glorious. But how do we know God is God? Because he tells you ahead of time what's going to happen. In fact, we're going to look next week at a, a passage that says, listen, I'll tell you why I say I'm God, because I'll tell you what's going to happen. That's what makes. Not, that's not. That's what shows God is God, because He tells you ahead of, ahead of time, this is what I will do. If those plans can be thwarted, then what you're saying is God is not God. So God is God, and He's going to rescue, and He's going to provide, and He's going to bless the Jewish nation, and finally, they're going to look upon him whom they have pierced, as Zechariah says, they're going to turn to their true Messiah as a nation, and they will be the ones brought into the kingdom, at least part of those who are brought into the kingdom. And they're going to be brought under, uh, in under the reign of their true king, their true Messiah, Jesus Christ. So that's what's first reason for the tribulation, to prepare Israel to get saved. Okay? There's a purpose for Israel. Now, second of all, there's a purpose for the Gentiles to punish sinners. So reason number two, to punish sinners. God will use the tribulation to punish the godless, you know, the ungodly Gentile nations and all unbelievers for their sin. Why? Their sin of what? Rejecting the true Messiah and receiving the false one. See, that's during the time of Antichrist. So the final tribulation is not just because they rejected Christ, but now they also received the Antichrist. They at the beginning, made a pact with him. So God comes to punish sinners, both Jew and Gentile. There's a real. There's a, in other words, there's a purpose for the tribulation. Revelation 16, verse 2 says this. 16, loathsome sore came upon the men who had, who had the mark of the beast and worshipped in his image. And it talks about those who had that, you know, God punished. God punished. So God comes to punish, and by the way, when I say God, it's the second person of the Trinity, it's Jesus Christ, he's the one that's actually inflicting the, um, the punishment on this earth. He's the one that opens the seven seals, okay? So God has determined the uh, retribution, but Jesus Christ is the one that actually... Um, Pulls it off, no, how do you, uh, uh, implements it, uh, uh, actually does it. It's Christ who is actually uh, bringing about the tribulation with the breaking of the seven seals. So world's rejection. Pentecost says this, this world will receive this divine visitation because of the world's rejection of Christ as Lord and Savior. The world will worship the beast and divine judgment will come upon them because they have dis- despised Christ. God rejected his son and acknowledged a demon-possessed man as their only king and deity. That's Antichrist. Now think about it. I mean, again, rejected God, rejected Christ, uh, hailed the Antichrist as um, the true God because he sets himself up in the temple and and, and demands to be worshipped. It makes sense why God would bring tribulation on this earth. When the whole world looks to Antichrist as God, it makes sense why God would, would punish this earth. It says in Revelation 3, verse 20, again, a purpose. It says to, and again, Revelation 3, that's the church at Ephesus, but when we looked at that a few months ago, it said this, to test those who dwell on the earth. That was part of the, tribul- the reason for the tribulation, to test those who are on this earth. It, he's testing. What do you mean, Testing. Well, what does a test do? It shows who you really are. It brings out what you really are. So, during the times of trial and grief and suffering and hurts and destruction that are happening on this earth, God is actually testing individual hearts. God is testing. You know what? Let's let's say something about testing. When we go through trials and hurts and suffering and all that, you know, you know what tests do? You know what uh, trials do? Trials reveal the heart. Do, do you see that? See, you go through a trial and it reveals something about you. When you go through a trial, if you respond in a, in a godly, hopeful, focused on God way, that reveals reveal something about your heart. But if you go through a trial and instead of embracing God, it becomes a temptation against even God. And in other words, uh, I don't want to, let me back this up. Uh, I'll give you a, a quick synopsis. In James chapter 1, he uses two different words, test and temptations. You know what I'm talking about? Is kind of, I'll join my brother when you fall into many uh, trials, knowing that the testing of your faith what, produces endurance. And, okay, you get the point. But then it talks about temptations. No man is tempted by God because God cannot tempt any man, was not tempted himself and will not tempt any man. Do you, you remember those two passages? Verses 2 to 4, I think 12 to 16. You know what's amazing about that? They're the same word. See, it's the same thing. When something happens in your life, either it's a trial that makes you grow in endurance in your faith, or it's a temptation that that seeks to destroy you. It's the same word. That's what James' point is. How you approach a hard time in your life will either be a trial to grow you or a temptation to destroy you. Now, when it comes to Revelation 2, that, see, he uses the word test. God is testing what's in the heart. The word test was used of metals and a crucible to discover its worth. And it says, to test those who dwell on the earth. Not so much test them as far as where they are geographically, but morally, in other words, spiritually. Before Him, are they are they true believers? Are they ones who have My Spirit in them, or are they hardened rebels? Are they rejectors? Are they horizontal thinkers only? In other words, anything that happens, they just think horizontally. They never think vertically. In other words, they never come to Me. Are they dominated by earthly ambitions? They to test those who are on the earth. Well, let me tell you how they, how they respond. Because I, I went through and I just this one little uh, talk about did not repent. Let me read Revelation 9 and 16. Okay, Revelation 9, verse 20. This is, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plague, and again, they've had plagues, they've had plagues, did not repent. See, do you, do you see how that's their heart? If a person has, has the Spirit of God working in him, and things happen that are hard. You know what they do? They run to God. That's, what a, that's the natural response of a believer. Hurts, trials, suffering comes into your life. I'm not saying you don't struggle. I am not saying that at times you run to yourself. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we get angry and bitter. But you know what the biblical response is? You run to God. But now, look at what happens. Revelation 9.20, The rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not Repent. They didn't change their mind, they didn't change their actions of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone. In other words, they just kept down the same path. Verse 21. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Boy, there's a common word there. Which what is it? There. 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 In other words, God is saying it, no, they held their sin tighter than their desire to want to move towards God. Well, that's the characteristic of a of an earthling, okay? An earthling. One who does not have Christ, one who is children of wrath, one of children of the devil, what? They hold on to their murders and their sorceries and their sexual immorality and their thefts. Same thing happens in Revelation eight or sixteen eight. It says the, the bowl was pour, pour, uh, uh, the poured out his bowl on the sun. It was, it was the fourth bowl judgment. Okay. And power was given to him to scorch men with fire. So they're scorched. I mean, that's horrendous. Scorch. I mean, think about, think about your worst sunburn. <laughs> you know, some of you, I remember one of my relatives got married, went down to Mexico, you know. I mean, they live in New York, went down to Mexico for their honeymoon. First day you know, stayed out there like 12 hours, you know, like a Red Lobster. You know, I'm sure their honeymoon was really fun after that, you know. But the point is, is think about that, times 10. I mean, scorched. Right? Scorched. But th- this is what it says. They blaspheme the name of God who has power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. When those who do not have the Spirit of God in them When just men who are sinners uh, get plagues and trials and hardships, they blaspheme and they do not change direction. They do not repent. That is just a huge uh, challenge to us though. What happens when God puts hardship into your life? Do you go like this or do you run to Him like a father? Okay? Verse 11, they did not repent of their deeds. Verse 21, men blaspheme God. The second purpose of the tribulation is to judge this earth. But we find that it's the right thing to do because these men, these women, these people, when given an opportunity to turn to God, blaspheme. They do not repent. Number three, to prove God's power. Remember 3,500 years ago, the Pharaoh of Egypt mocked mocked the God of heaven. Remember that? 3,500 years ago that happened. This is what it says in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. And Pharaoh said, Who is Now, now, now think about this challenge. Now, Pharaoh, the big guy in Egypt, right? The number one guy. And this is what he says to Moses. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? Now, think about that challenge. I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. I mean, that's like, that, you know, lying in the sand. I don't know who you're talking about, and you're not going to go. Well, God heard that arrogant, brazen challenge, and then in the next eight chapters of Exodus, God shows Pharaoh, his his magicians, and all the people who he really is. Right? That's what it was. You want a challenge? I'll show you who I am. I mean, it gets to the point after the ten plagues in the in the, the firstborn killed that they are begging, just leave in fact, here, we won't even give you stuff, <laughs> but who gets the glory for that? God, this is who I am. Well, think of it this way in god 's power is also going to be revealed in the tribulation in fact that 's why we call it the revelation, right the revelation, the revelation of Jesus christ, the revealing he 's He's been, as it were, hidden. He came the first time as a lowly lamb. You know, we all like the stories of, you know, in the manger and the sheep, and you know, the, the little guy. And he grows up, and re- But no, no, he comes back the next time as a lamb, but as a lion. He comes back, and we now, as we're looking at re- Revelation chapter one, we saw his glory two and three, how he deals with his church four and chapters four and five, in heaven. And now chapter 6, and it's going to be, this is the revelation of His power. And from chapter 6 to 19, we're going to see the power of Christ breaking the seals, it being judgment on the earth, and finally in chapter 19, He comes back. And people, even though they cry out for the rocks to hide Him from the wrath of the Lamb, they know who He is. They know who He is. So just like God proved to Pharaoh, this is who I am, Christ This time, though, it's not just to Pharaoh in Egypt, it's to the entire world. So, why do we have the tribulation? To prove God's power. The revelation of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 3 says, The man of sin, the son of perdition, that's the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. See, he, this man exalts himself above God, and that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And you know what God, you know what Christ said? No, you're not. <laughs> And I'm going to destroy and destroy and destroy and at the end every, every human being will understand who I am. So it proves who God is. proves His strength. In fact, in Revelation 15 verse I think it's 3 the, those who are redeemed sing to the Lamb, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, who shall not who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? In other words, who? Everyone's going to know who you are. For you alone are holy, for all the nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested, revealed. See, that's the point. You're, you, know, you have been revealed. So that's the third reason. So what are the reasons? Well, first of all, for Israel, number two, to judge the ungodly. But number three, So that a a true, this is who he is, okay? His power. How about number four, to portray Satan's true character. So there's a purpose for Satan. This is the unmasking of Satan. God will use the tribulation to fully unmask Satan for what he is. That is being a liar, a thief, a murderer, okay? The deceiver, the accuser of the brethren. It's called the, the dragon, the fiery dragon. They're going to know who he, in fact, in Revelation 12, it says a great fiery red dragon. But because of time, let's just throw out one thought. In Revelation 12, verse 11, it says this. uh, He is king over the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is, in Hebrew, Abaddon, and in the Greek, Apollyon. And, And Abaddon literally means the minister of death. How would you like that as a name? You know, he's supposed to be like the shining light, the most beautiful of creatures. Well, actually, he is the minister of death, the author of havoc. In Apollyon, Greek means just literally destroyer. See, this is one of the interesting things of how God works. And, and we saw this with Israel back in the Babylonian captivity. God uses the ungodly for the purposes of his people. In other words, God took an ungodly ungodly king Nebuchadnezzar with an ungodly nation, which is uh, Babylon, to conquer his people Israel and Jerusalem. God uses the ungodly for his purposes. God will even use Satan during the tribulation. So it's not just the bowls being... But God is also using Satan. But in the process of using Satan, he is being unmasked for who he really is. He is the liar, the deceiver, the accuser. He's the destroyer. So you, you, you have this, this uh, contrast between Satan and the love and the peace and the joy and the hope that God can only give. See, Satan tries to give those things. But in the tribulation, it will be shown that only God can. He will be unmasked, and that 's the fourth purpose of the tribulation the, the the final the final enemy is going to be unmasked well, let me give you, leave you with this last fifth reason to provide salvation it 's a purpose for those who are unbelievers that that are going to be saved the lord will gracious and, and this is my you know of all the ones that we 've talked about okay Israel and the judgment oh that 's hard and oh the power of god that's good and oh unmasking Satan you know. So wicked. Oh, this is a good one. This is a good one to end on. To provide salvation? I think of uh, Charles Dickens, you know. It it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Well, let's reverse that for this one. It was the worst of times. There's going to be death and destruction and carnage like the world has never seen. But it's also going to be the best of times. I mean, even just think of the ones that we just... Yeah, Israel will finally see her king. Sin will finally be judged. The true God will finally be revealed. Satan, that arch enemy, will finally be unmasked. But notice this one. And people will be getting saved. Now, right now, Jesus, as he left in Acts 1.8, says, you're going to receive power, talking to his church, when the Spirit of God comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses. But by the time we get to Revelation chapter 6, we're gone. We've already talked about it. The rapture has happened. I, I absolutely believe that the, the rapture has already happened by chapter 6. So his witnesses, the church, the church who should be the witness to the world, is gone. So who's going to be the witness? In other words, if I tell you that there's going to be great salvation, first of all, we've got to find out, well, how do they get the message? Okay? Who's going to be God's witnesses? Well, let's go to Revelation chapter 7 real quick. Apparently right at the beginning of the tribulation, God, well, look at verse 2, and I saw another angel ascending from, and I don't want to take away from the message on chapter 7, but just, there's an angel ascending from the east, verse 2, having the seal of the living God, And he basically cries out and says, don't hurt anything until I seal the servants of our God, verse 4, on their foreheads. And so there's 144,000 witnesses that are sealed and they are going to be the proclaimers of truth. Now get it, 144,000. We find out 12,000 from every tribe of Israel, which means what? Jews are still in the picture, okay? When people say Jews are not in the picture in the tribulation, like let's go to Revelation 7, So now we got 144,000 that are walking around proclaiming truth, and and they cannot be destroyed. Okay? 144,000. Boy, do you think they're going to be good witnesses? I mean, the stamp of God, you go, you tell. 144,000. And, you know, every time the the seal is opened and the trumpets blow and the. Bowl is poured. They're right there. It's God. It's God. You know, they're constantly pointing back to God. Well, then in the middle of the tribulation, comes up with another two guys, Revelation 11, and it's the two witnesses. They're called the two olive branches, the two lampstands, powerful preachers. And there's a revival. Now, this happens at the, the middle. This is after the Antichrist breaks the covenant. And they show up on the scene, and again, and they even kill them. And it says they make merry. You know, they have, uh, what is it called? Uh, happy Two Witnesses, Death Day, or whatever they want. I mean, they're actually giving each other's presents when those two guys die. But the point is, they rise from the dead. And But what are they doing? They're witnessing. They're witnessing. God has 144,000 running around witnessing. He has the two witnessing. And then in Revelation 14, verse 6, it says this, that there's a flying angel, and we don't understand all, in verse 6, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. So you have 144,000, you have the two witnesses, you even have this flying angel proclaiming the everlasting gospel. God wants to be known, and through this time there are many, many thousand, perhaps millions upon millions that are turning to Christ. And you might say, well, what are they preaching? Well, it's the everlasting gospel. It's the gospel that's always been. If you go back to, you know, in the beginning, Genesis, Abel, by faith. What do you mean by faith? In other words, it's not by works, by faith. The everlasting gospel is that that it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ that one can be saved. Remember this, you didn't get saved in the Old Testament by the works of the law. You, you got saved by belief. We see this with Abraham. He believed God and it was accounted for him to right, for righteousness. So, in the Old Testament, how do you get saved? Faith. New Testament, now we find out the Messiah. Obviously, right now, how do you get saved? By turning from your sin and believing on Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. He's the Lord and Savior. And so this is what's being proclaimed by the witnesses, by the two witnesses, by the flying angel, the everlasting gospel. Nothing it hasn't changed. Pieces have been understood better, but it's the gospel. The gospel has always been the gospel. By faith is how you're justified before God. And so they're testifying And let's just turn to Revelation 7, verse 9 says this After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number. This is a great multitude. A great multitude is there. No one could number of all the nations and tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes. Again, they're saved. Before the throne, from every nation, tribe, people, tongue, they're saved. Look at this. What are they saying with a loud voice? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped and saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Oh, Question. Then one of the elders answered and asked, saying to them, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones, listen, who come out of the great tribulation and wash their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. See, these are people who are saved through the great tribulation. See, the great tribulation is not just about power and destruction and glory. It's also about salvation. I remind you of what it says in verse 9, a great multitude. So during this time of carnage, during, during this time of the worst of times, the worst of times, God is saving people. God is always saving God has always had his remnant. God has always had his people in every age. Go way back to Genesis. Genesis. Like in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Abel. Whose son was Abel? Who? Way back then. God always has his witnesses. God is always saving people through every age, every time. God is a gracious God. Our God is a saving God. In fact, it's interesting, like the book of Titus, six times, just in that little book, three chapters, six times, in the book of Titus, it talks about that God our Savior, Jesus Christ our Savior. What does God want to have us remember? I am gracious, I am merciful, I want to save, I want to save people as he pours uh, as he pours uh, wrath on this earth to judge sin, please do not think this that God is up in up in the air, uh, you know up in heaven <laughs> God damn, I think that 's how sinful believers sometimes think, yeah, pound of flesh, no, no, God is gracious, He is merciful. He wants to be known as the God God our Savior. He wants to be known as the Savior. So even in the worst of times, it was the best of times. Many, multitudes it says, turn to Him. Multitudes bow their knee, repent, turn to Christ as the only Savior. Multitude are saved. But the question is, Are you saved? See, we've been looking at eschatological wrath. That means end-time wrath. But you know what? There's a wrath coming even before that, perhaps. Because there is what we call eternal wrath. And let me just read. I I quoted it earlier, but let me read it now. Eternal wrath is this, where each individual has to determine who's going to pay for my sin. Am I going to pay for my sin and hell forever, which never will be paid, or do I trust in Jesus Christ who has already paid for my sin on the cross? How is your sin going to be paid for? Because someone has to pay for it. John 3 says this, He who believes in the Son, that's Jesus Christ, has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, But the wrath of God abides on him. We make much of the tribulation. We make much of the wrath that someday will be on this earth. But even more horrendous than that is the wrath that God has towards each individual that has never received his son, Jesus Christ. Because for each person that dies without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will spend eternity apart from God under his wrath and under his judgment, and that is eternal. The earth will go out of existence in a time frame, but those who die without Christ will forever be lost and judged under the wrath of God. Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If you haven't, you can, you can run to him now and know that he, is, he, is a, he wants to be a savior to you, right? Right? Because God is the same. That's what he wants to be known for. That's what it's all about. So if you never received Christ, do that today. If you have received Christ, know this. That if you go to him as a believer, and you say, but man, I have messed my life up. Know that he wants to hear your prayer of repentance, and he wants to forgive, and he wants to get back into are you walking with him. Now, he's not walking with you. You need to be walking with him, and he wants that if you you cry out to him he immediately responds right immediately responds so let's bow our heads you prepare your hearts and the ushers come forward